we left off on Friday, Jesus being buried and the guards securing the tomb. Matthew chapter 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders, it was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. The story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, one of our primary missions as a disciple is to share the gospel. And several years ago, a young man had become a disciple. You know him as Josh Massey. I remember Josh as a high school student that we sat in Starbucks studying the Bible and what it meant to become a disciple. And I remember the conversation where he told me, I'm not ready to do this. I can't do this. And he walked away. And several months later, Josh called me and says, I want to do that disciple study again. And so him and Luke Opp and, my, him and, Luke Opp and, Josh, and me, Luke Opp and Josh sat down together at Starbucks once again. And we studied what it meant to be a disciple. And this time, Josh accepted the message of Jesus. And here is his testimony.
Hello everyone, my name is Josh Massey. I'm so glad to be here with you guys um, this morning. Um, <laughs> I have uh, the opportunity and privilege of sharing uh, communion. And I wanted to share a little bit about myself Before I get into the actual communion, um, as I said, I'm Josh Massey. Um, I have the privilege and honor of serving the campus ministry um, as their um, leader and a minister. And uh, that's been incredible to witness the Holy Spirit truly changing the hearts of so many young men and women and seeing how God is really raising them up and raising a generation that is going to change the way that we church, as you could call it. Um, I've also been a Christian for nine years, going on 10 this coming October. Amen. Um, and I'm studying uh, IT at the Arizona State University, and it's all online, uh, which is why I can be here um, and still go to school and not have to be in Arizona. Um, I also work at Starbucks as a barista. Um, so come see me for some coffee. I'm out in Simi Valley. Um, so now I wanted to share a little bit of, uh, about Jesus, the resurrection. Um, yeah and a redemption story in essence. And before I share the scripture that I'm going to be sharing with us all, um, it's going to be in John chapter 11 in verse 25. Um, but I wanted to share a story about a young man and his story, it, I find it very impactful. Um, so I'll, let me share the story. So there's a young man. Um, and in his childhood, he had uh, essentially no awareness of how damaging the situation was. Um, so to him, his childhood was marvelous. It was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, as a matter of fact, to this young man, his childhood was a dream. His both his parents were in the home. His sister, although would try, would not be the nicest all the time to him. She was a teenager when he was younger. Um, and although that was the scenario, everything was basically normal. Um, everything was, in essence, the way it should be. Until one day, his father, um, who he, whom he admired, whom he saw, saw as a, a hero, in his eyes, the man that he wanted to become one day. Um, his father took him out for dinner um, and he broke the news that that was the last time that he would see him. And after that, they would never see each other again. Um, he said he was, the, his father said he was leaving um, and that he would call, but that's about it. And so, this sent the young man into a flurry of confusion and under the uh, lack of understanding. And so because of this, um, he went into a spiral of sadness and depression. Um, and as he was experiencing all that, little by little, his mom and his sister were leaking out information that his father was actually a child molester. 
and that his father was actually emotionally and physically abusive to him and emotionally, physically, and sexually abusive to his sister, and that he's done it to other children before. Um, and as these things kept on being uh, poured out and revealed, it became more evident that the man that the father that this young man thought he had was actually fictional. And as that became reality, it sent him into a spiral of addiction, addiction to uh, be codependent with people and seek out these re relationships that are immoral and impure and completely objectifying to seek out and look for all the drugs possible to qualm all of the horrible, intense pain and hurt inside of him, to drown the sorrow with alcohol and parties and all of these things that mask the reality that he is broken and unwanted. But then a day came when his older sister decided to follow God. And when she did that, Little by little, God started working on this young man's heart. And little by little, this young man started to find self-worth. And inch by inch by inch, this young man got to a point where he decided to make Jesus Lord of his life. And I'm so incredibly encouraged and inspired to say that I am that young man, that I decided to make Jesus Lord of my life on October 10th, 2010. And because of that resurrection in my life, there's been a new trajectory for me where I became from a broken home with all of these horrible things and situations and all these damaging scenarios that should have set me up for some sort of addiction. Instead, I'm in a incredible committed relationship dating this incredible woman named Janelle Arco that is pure, that is holy, that is righteous. I'm sober. I'm leading other people to God. I'm leading a group of people and helping and guiding them to learn more about Jesus. And so in this, I am reminded of the scripture in John chapter 11 and verse 25, it reads, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they will die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so today, as we reflect on this communion, this resurrection, this joyous occasion, let us reflect on the resurrection of Christ that allowed the resurrection of each and every one of us. Reflect on the fact that we come from some degree of brokenness, of hurt, 
of sin, of unclean, uncleanliness. That we come from that, and yet Jesus died and was resurrected and gave us victory and a new life. And then he asks us the question, do you believe in me? Let us pray. God, Lord Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of all the nations, creator of all the universe, artist, master sculptor, I come humbly before you to say thank you with the deepest amount of gratitude, I say thank you for letting your divinity touch us to such an extent that we are allowed to have new life. Touch us to such an extent that we're allowed to have hope, a future, to have faith and trust that there is a perfect father that wants nothing more than closeness to his children. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, and thank you for the sacrifice of your Son and for the resurrection that allowed power in the Spirit. It's in your incredible Son's name we pray. Amen. Union.
Let me make it so I see the screen. Well, I wanted to just to thank Josh for that, that testimony. It just speaks volumes about his response to Jesus, his response to the cross. And many of us can relate to that story because we were once there in darkness and we saw the light and we saw the importance. Um, one, of the, one of the passages I want to share this morning in our sermon was one of the few times Jesus shouted. And he shouted at the crowds. A couple instances in the gospel where he is raising his voice because he is so adamant about people understanding uh, something important that he has to share. And it's in John 12. This is my opening passage for our sermon today because we are going to talk about Jesus and his teachings because those of us who want to follow Jesus, those of us who are following Jesus, those of us who aspire to follow Jesus have to pay attention to what Jesus said. In John 12, it reads in verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you see the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world, not judge it, but all who reject me in my message. My message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. You know, we ought to take the words of Jesus seriously. And you can ask, well, why should we? Well, he rose from the dead, and he's the only one ever to do that. Buddha, Muhammad, no one's done that. He did it. That's why we pay attention. Otherwise, if he didn't raise from the dead, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be gathered together. The whole world would not be gathered together in celebration of this resurrection. He would have just been another lunatic in the first century claiming to be something he was not. And Jesus not only resurrected, he came with the message. He came with the message for us to give, to give us the saving gospel to the world. But he also had other messages. He also had other sermons, other teachings in his ministry. And the series that we're doing this week is about worry. And Jesus has a lot to say about what happens to our hearts in a crisis. What happens to our hearts when we worry? You know, Easter is here. And it's a unique time for the world. And it's a unique time for those who are visiting with us online this morning to take a look at what Jesus teaches. His resurrection is huge. Josh Massey's testimony is huge in response to Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. So we're talking about, this morning, we're talking about worry. And what does Jesus teach us about worry? Well, we know that worry is essentially a preoccupation with tomorrow. We become aware of uncertainty from time to time. So we're talking about worry and we're talking about what can we do about it? And the reason there's so much literature and so, much, so many books on Amazon about stress and worry is that the consensus is that it's pretty bad. You know, someone once said worry is like a prayer in reverse. You know, worry tends to make things bigger and prayer generally makes issues smaller. Every, every one of us, every one of us can, can relate to this. We know professional worriers. 
I mean, they're professional. They worry about everything. But yet they can't add a minute by their worry. They can't manipulate the future by their worry. Because Jesus just says you can't do it. I mean, if time equals your life, and when time runs out, your life runs out. So Jesus is basically saying, don't waste your time. We talked about that last week. We're looking at Jesus. We're studying what he says. And today he gives us the approach, the antidotes. But his approach is only compelling when we understand what fuels our worry. So here's what we discovered last week. It doesn't add anything valuable or solve anything important. Worry just doesn't do that. There's no clarity in worry. What we, we are to do all we can and then trust our Heavenly Father to do all He will because He cares. What we worry about reflects our devotion and devotion is reflected in our, in our emotion. If you want to know what you're most devoted to, look at the things that you worry about the most. Understanding this connection is the key to understanding Jesus' approach to overcoming the paralyzing effects of worry. Because it's, it's our point of greatest devotion will be the point of our greatest emotion. I gave it like a half sermon last week because I didn't go through the whole uh, scripture of Matthew chapter 6. But today I will. And Jesus talked about you can't serve two masters. You, you're going to despise one. You can't, you can't do it. You just can't. And so he says this from last week. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Well, you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Jesus says, don't worry. Now, he's not saying don't care, but don't worry. In other words, he's saying, if you're a student, you go, I have a big test. And Jesus says, don't worry, so I'm not going to study. That's not what he's saying. Uh, my, my marriage is in a crisis, but Jesus said, don't worry, so I'm not going to deal with it. No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, if you read the life of Jesus, you'll never find a shred of evidence of irresponsibility. Jesus taught that we are to do all we can in the now. And that means that you don't have to have a pile of anxiety over something you can't control, which is the future. So we have an opportunity. To be in communication with the only one who controls the future. So don't waste and so don't worry or waste your life on worrying because God loves you and he cares more about you than he cares about the birds of the air. Can he, we also talked about can anyone of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Go ahead, try it, get hyper focused on an issue and see if it adds an hour to your life. Jesus talked about the birds. They don't store in barns. He talked about um, the birds of the air and the, you know, they don't, they don't, they just kind of go with the flow. The flowers, they don't spin, they don't labor, yet they look better than Solomon in all his splendor. I mean, you labor, you work, you have a schedule, they don't. And God cares more about you than them. And then he got down to the real issue. You have little faith. Because Jesus was trying to, pin, to pinpoint, there's a relationship between your worry and your faith in God. I mean, if you had perfect faith, 
What would you worry about? I mean, if you believe God loved you more than the birds and the flowers, what would you worry about? So let's continue his teaching. He says in verse 31 in Matthew chapter 6, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You know, will I lose my job? How am I going to find another, another job after this COVID-19? Is the economy going to shut down? Will there be teen camp? Will there be youth camp? How am I going to pay my bills? Who's going to take care of me? He says, look, don't spend your time stressed out over those things. And this is why I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Not because they're not important. They're very important. He says, don't worry about those things. After you've done all you can do, he says, don't sit around and worry about the future. And then he, then he takes the conversation. He kind of like twists the knife a little. He kind of twists it a little bit. And he does a comparison. He goes, look, for the pagans, the pagans are people who don't believe there is a God. They don't believe there's a personal God. They don't believe that God knows their name. And they don't believe that there's a God who answers prayers. The attitude of the pagan is what we see is all there is. And security is up to me alone. And Jesus is pointing out, you're acting like God doesn't exist. And if you do believe he does exist, you think he can't be trusted. He's getting to the heart of our faith. So if you who believe in God are so stressed out, you're practically living like an atheist. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe, but, but that's really irrelevant. I've got to worry. Jesus, it's irrelevant. I, I, I got to stress out. I got to over-medicate. I got to take the edge off. He's saying, if you do that, you're acting like a person who doesn't even believe there's a God. I mean, the world runs after these things. The pagans run after these things. That word run after is, is a Greek word that emphasizes they, they seek diligently. They are consumed by it. When he says the pagans run after, that's parallel to worry. That's parallel to seek. That's parallel to devote themselves to. Because the pagans, what they see is all there is. And their security is up to them alone. You know, we are for the most part all in the same situation. Most people have the same worry about whether it's their industry, whether it's real estate, jobs, school, future, marriage. I mean, we could divide up the room through Zoom of those concerned with the house, mortgage payment over here, the rent over here, those concerned with job, job loss here, those concerned about marriage challenges here, those concerned, um, worried about their children here, homeschooling over there. I mean, we can divide the room because we all have the same worries and concerns. Jesus is saying, as you share your story, as you talk to people on FaceTime, as you talk to people on the phone who have the same worries as you do, your response should be so different that they're amazed. In other words, they should look at you and say, you don't seem worried. I mean, you seem to care. You seem like you're a responsible person, but you're not worried. I mean, aren't you afraid? I mean, how do you sleep at night? Why don't you seem as stressed down, out of control as my other friends who have the same issues? 
I mean, Jesus is saying this is an opportunity to shine brighter than ever before. You know, I think as a church, as disciples, as a culture, this is an opportunity because we're at a place in our nation, we're at a place as, as people where there is more to worry about than ever has been before, or, or at least that's what the perception is, which means for us, for those of us who face the same circumstances, but refuse to be bound by worry, your light, your life is going to shine a little brighter. And Jesus is saying, look, if you give in to worry and you get sucked into worry and you get distracted by worry, there might as well not even be a God for you because you're acting like everyone else. You're acting like God can't be trusted. You're acting like God does not exist. And Jesus is teaching us that right now is your opportunity to shine brighter than ever before. I mean, Jesus is saying your struggle and temptation and your circumstances are common to all men and women. The difference is not the challenge. The difference is not the trial. The difference could be potentially your response. Don't worry, run after, fret, get bent out of shape over where I'm gonna live, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what if I get COVID-19? He says that what people who don't think there's a heavenly father worry about, he says, don't do that. You should be different. But yet he hasn't given us the answer yet. Let's see how he finishes out this thought. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, this is what separates the pagans from the non-pagans from the folks who have hoarded all the toilet paper, who hoarded all the disinfectant wipes, who've hoarded the, all the vinegar and the meat and the chicken, do you believe that your heavenly father knows that you need these things? Do you believe that? Wouldn't it make a huge difference if you just decided to live your life as if you really believed and really knew that your heavenly father knows? Even if nothing changes, even if you don't know what God is going to do, even if you have no idea about tomorrow, isn't that comforting? The fact that he knows? Because if he knows and he's kind of worried about it, and if he knows, he's, he's on it. And then I don't have to really be worried because our Heavenly Father knows. And because he knows, we don't have to worry. But if you come to the conclusion of, you know what? I really believe that God knows what I need. And God knows about my loneliness. God knows about my stress. God knows about my marriage. God knows about the house. God knows about my industry. God knows about COVID-19. He knows about the curve. God knows what I need. Jesus says, okay. By the way, in case you haven't been paying attention, he knows that you need these things, which means they're important. And he goes back to this idea that he introduced in the beginning of the passage last week when he said, you can't serve God and stuff. The issue of, of your devotion, 
He says the solution to worry is redirecting your devotion. The solution to worry isn't to stop worrying. And the solution to worry isn't, it doesn't matter anyway. The solution to worry is to redirect your devotion. And listen how he opens up this next statement that gives us the solution. And you've probably heard this a thousand times. You've probably sung this a million times. But seek, endeavor to go after, right? Seek first. In other words, what you've been seeking first is the wrong thing. What you've been devoted to is leading you to the valley of worry. What you've been seeking first is why you're, where you are emotionally. You've been devoted to the wrong thing. He says, so I want to give you the solution. The solution is to transfer your devotion. The solution is to channel your devotion to something entirely different than where it's been before because your devotion determines your emotions where your emotions are and your emotions determine what you're worried about. So here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first as opposed to school. Seek first school or seek first, seek first my grades, my job, the house, the loneliness, my son, my daughters, the kids, homeschooling, COVID-19. He said all those things are very important. In fact, your father knows all about them. But as long as they are your primary devotion, then you're just going to worry. And so Jesus invites us. He invites every one of us to surrender our entire lives to him. Entire lives, not a segment of it. And not just the area that you're worried about. Your entire life he's inviting you in. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want there to be a reversal in your devotion. I want you to seek my kingdom and my righteousness, which means I want you to seek my agenda for the world and to put your agenda second. For those of us who grew up Catholic, for those of you who don't know, I was an altar boy in my former years. And you remember this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, you know this, Catholicos. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know this. We've been taught this since we were little. And to accept Jesus' challenge, challenge, to seek first the kingdom of God, is simply this. It's simply having this disposition. God, you know how bad I want to get into that school, or, and I've done everything I know what to do. And my temptation is just to obsess over it. Is it going to happen? Well, what if? Well, what if? What if? What if? But I've decided thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, in my earth, on my dirt, in my life, as it is in heaven. I've decided to seek your kingdom first, where I go to school second. I've decided to seek your kingdom first in my business, in my industry second. I've decided to seek your kingdom first and address my heart and my worry. I've decided to make a transfer of devotion. Instead of being committed to my kingdom and trying to get you to answer my prayers, I'm going to take Jesus up on his challenge. 
I'm going to, to the best of my ability. I'm going to surrender all of my life and say, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. This is what Jesus did in Gethsemane. At the most crucial point before he dies, there is a struggle with his emotions. He struggles fervently to, for God to take away the cross. But he surrenders his emotion. He surrenders his devotion and says, no, your kingdom, God, your will be done on earth. This is why we celebrate Easter. Because in that moment, Jesus was tempted to reverse his emotion and devotion. But he, he put first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Now, for some of us, we can do it. For others, some people are just forced to go through it because, through brokenness because they haven't done it. They won't do it. They refuse to do it. And everything gets taken away. And their life is shattered. The world just breaks them. Because life is so unpredictable that they feel like they have no option at all. Except, finally, I surrender everything to you. That's what Josh went through. He walked away. And his world fell apart. And he came back. God, I surrender everything to you. I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And God will still take you. Because it's the, it's the surrendered life he's looking for. He knows what your needs are and they're important. But more importantly, he tells us this, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when that happens and your life is broken and you surrender to God, there's a peace that doesn't make any sense. The Bible says it surpasses any human comprehension. Because nothing's changed except something in your heart. And so he says to his audience, and he says to you and me, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to make a decision to open up your hands, open up your heart and say, I surrender everything. I surrender my good marriage. I surrender my good kids. I surrender my bad marriage. I surrender my finances my 401k, I surrender my precious toilet paper, I surrender everything to you. And at the end of every prayer, after you know what I think I, I need, thy kingdom come, God, thy will be done. I'm trusting you for tomorrow. And all these things will be given to you as well. Well, what things? Well, the things you've been so, so devoted to. They will? Really, Jesus? Yes, because you're more important to God than a bird. You're more important to God than a flower. And you've been invited to address him and to call him your heavenly father. So, of course, he's going to take care of you. And so Jesus closes out. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, when your mind begins to wrap its emotions and its tentacles and its concern about tomorrow, he says, no, 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 no. 
that's just when you stop and say, no, thy will be done tomorrow. Thy will be done tomorrow. Thy will be done tomorrow. I've done all I can in the now. And I have done all I can in the today. Thy will be done manana. I fully trust you with tomorrow as I have sought to seek your kingdom first today. And Jesus says, I'm giving you permission not to obsess over tomorrow because I will be in your tomorrow. So what, one practical I'd like us all to consider to do this week is to make, if you're willing to make a list of all the arenas, all the areas of your life, not just the ones you're worried about, but everything, and write them down. Write them all down. Start with your, you know, your job, your kids, whatever. All everything, the good, the bad. Put it all down. Because you know all the areas that are pulling you in this direction, that direction. And I want you to put that list in front of you. Just like Hezekiah put this letter in front of God in the Old Testament. He said, look, this is my list, God. And I just want to say to you, God, here's my list. Here's all my worries. Here's everything. I'm changing my devotion. I'm redirecting my primary devotion away from all this. This still matters. This is still important. I still care. But I want to learn what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to, I want to learn what it means first to seek first his righteousness. So I'm letting you have all this. You're going to be more important to me than all of this. So I'm releasing this because I know you know. You know, this is teaching of Jesus is so amazing. It points, it exposes three things for us. One, it exposes that worry is a choice. We choose to worry. We decide to worry. Imagine if we decided to put our devotion elsewhere. Secondly, seeking first your own security only fuels more worry. That's when it really takes you into the valley of worry. And thirdly, seeking first the agenda of God frees us from worry because we did all we could today and God's in charge of tomorrow. So this Easter morning, there's a lot going on in our nation. There's a lot going on in our communities. There's a lot going on everywhere. Man, I wish we can hug each other and see each other face to face. But right now we can't. This Easter morning, I want to encourage you to consider putting that on paper. Consider surrendering your entire life to Jesus. No matter where you're at, far away, close, doesn't matter. Surrender your life back to Jesus. Whether you're, you're a part of our ministry or not, God's calling everyone to surrender their life to him. This is why he rose from the dead. You know, we can study the Bible with you online. This will not stop the gospel. This COVID-19 will not stop the gospel because we're going to put the kingdom first and God's agenda first. We are willing. We're willing to do that with you. Let's close out in a prayer and then we'll give a 
we'll have a time for a response to the lesson and what we've learned from Jesus today. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you for challenging us, but yet encouraging us, calling us higher, yet comforting us with the fact that you know our needs, you know our worries, you know our emotional state. And that, God, we have access to you, the Heavenly Father. We have access to God who can control the future because we know we cannot. And God, we're so thankful that we can do all we can today, things that are important to us, but we know, God, we cannot worry because you're in charge. You know. You know what's going to happen. You know what church is going to look like three months from now, two months from now, next week. You know. And I trust you with a tomorrow because today has its own worry of itself. God, we love you and we thank you and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the chance that we can follow him and adhere to his teachings because it just changes our lives. It makes us different. And God, help us to shine like never before in this, these moments in our community with our friends. Help us to shine for you, God, because we chose to seek your kingdom first. At this time, we're going to just take some time to encourage each other. I want to take this time to share. I want you to take this time to share with everyone online just a response to the Easter, a response to what Jesus taught us this morning. And um, you can all stay on mute. And then when you're ready to, to go on, please unmute yourself so we all can listen in on what you have to say. Hey, Gio, it's Mike. Hey, Mike. Gosh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Gio, Karen, Josh, uh, really for uh, incredibly moving, uh, relevant, critical uh, lesson. Uh, really, uh, really wonderful uh, for what we need today. So thank you so much for that. It really moved me a lot. My biggest regret is that um, I didn't uh, get this link out to some folks but the great thing is this is all recorded so connie and i have decided to send this out to some folks who didn't make it on today um 